All right. Good morning. We are so glad. Are you glad to be here today? Come on. Let God know you're glad to be here. Just tell him you're just glad to be here. Amen. And genuinely, we are glad. Every time I stand up here recently, I go, wow, look at God. God has sent us today. And you know what's really amazing? I honestly believe that God's just assembled this group of people today for his purposes. And that's an incredible, incredible thought. Now, we are, well, if this was a ball game, we'd be in inning number 10, okay? Um, if it was hockey, I have no clue because I don't know anything about hockey. But I'm telling you, we go beyond the normal parameters because we're in a series that we've entitled The Church at Dorisville. And last week was supposed to be the last week, but it's not. This week is the last week. And so say bye-bye to Mission Impossible because it's gone after today. And like I say, we've enjoyed it, but I'd be glad to have a new song or a new slideshow. Amen? All right. Now let me ask you a question. If you're here today, I'm not trying to get you a applaud or anything, but I kind of just want to know, if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, you count yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you are a Christian in those parameters, in those terms, would you just make a little bit of noise today? Would you make a little bit of noise? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Amen. All right, cool. Now, here's the great part. That is called the ecclesia. That is, you are the ecclesia. You are all the called out ones. And we say when we're having a series on the church at Dorisville, we're not talking about the building, and we're not talking about you know, folks who haven't necessarily have their name on a roll because we know sometimes that doesn't make a person a follower of Jesus Christ. We're talking about people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who have experienced God's amazing grace because of that cross that Robin just so wonderfully sang about we are God's called out ones. We are the ecclesia. And, and today to finish up, it's just a really cool set of scriptures that we want to look at and say, okay, okay, okay. So we're the ecclesia. Boy, does that sound cool or what? You could, you could whip some Greek on someone. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm like part of the ecclesia. They'll go, whoa, what does that mean, man? It just means the called out ones. They're going to think you went to seminary or something. So you can leave here and really impress some people, all right? So, so, so we're here today and we have this going on. But what is the ecclesia supposed to do? Now, we've talked about this off and on for the last, I guess, five weeks, because this is week number six. But, but we have three incredible scriptures today that I want to share. Now, ironically, remember last week, I've sitting there, I said, okay, you need to pray that God would kind of guide what he wants done today in this message, because we didn't have this message planned um, in, in this format. So I woke up, and I do not remember what day. It was one day this week, and the thought was on my brain was... Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul. And then it went. Then it clicked. Peter, Paul, and Mary. And now I know, I know, I know. If you're probably less than like 50, you're probably going, Peter, Paul, and who? You know? And well, Peter, Paul, and Mary was a group of singers back in the early 60s, 64, somewhere in there. Um, they were kind of back when, when music was still kind of folksy. And they sang a song entitled, If I Had a Hammer. Now, the hammer was written, and believe me, I'm not going to try to do, after doing Julie Andrews last week, we're going to leave Peter, Paul, and Mary to their own demise, okay? Um, but they sang, a, they wrote a song, in 1949, a guy wrote a song entitled, If I Had a Hammer. And it was kind of a revolutionary song. And frankly, it didn't have really good roots because it dealt with rebellion in America. And then, when Peter, Paul, and Mary came along, and they re-recorded it then, and then the, the uh, civil rights movement picked it up as their major theme in winning the, the rights of all people to be equal, especially the, the, the African-Americans in America, to be free. And so, so we had this, and, and they were singing this, If I Had a Hammer. And I, and I wasn't, I was well, I probably won't use that because it's kind of corny, but as I read the words, I realized just how cool they are. Let me, let me read some of the words to you. You know, if I had, they're really difficult. If I had a hammer, 
I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening. All over this land, I'd hammer out danger. I'd hammer out warning. I'd hammer out love between my brothers and sisters all over this land. And it goes on to say, if I had a bell, I'd ring in the morning. And if I had a song, I'd sing in the morning. And then it ends up by saying this. Well, it says, well, I've got a hammer. And I've got a bell. And I've got a song to sing all over this land. It is the hammer of justice. Um, it's the hammer. It's the bell of freedom. It's a song about love between my brothers and sisters all over this land. And I said, you know what? There's some really good spiritual connotation in that because we, too, are called to be revolutionaries. We, too, just like I know some people get upset when you say this, but Jesus Christ was a real revolutionary creature. In fact, a man, in fact, is it not true that time is judged by Christ? We have the time before Christ and time after Christ. Isn't it amazing that, that a carpenter that we shouldn't know anything about you know, two and a half billion people identify him and God together in the same thought. It's incredible that a man we show nothing about, you know, a third of the world's population identifies with him. How, how incredible is that? And so, so he was a revolutionary. And the fact that he said, you know, all this time, rules and rules and rules. And he came and just exploded a message of God's wonderful and amazing grace. A message really that has been going since Genesis. But he explodingly made it clear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I thought, what an appropriate song. We do have the hammer of justice and we do have the bell of freedom. We have a song about love between my brothers and my sisters. So I want to take today, I want to take not Peter, Paul, and Mary, the singing group that no one knows anything about anyway, but three people that you perhaps, if you've been in church a while, know a lot about. We want to take a look this morning and see what Peter says about how the ecclesia, how the church ought to live. And then we kind of want to take what, a little bit of what Paul says, what the ecclesia should be about. And then someone who really missed the ground roots, got, got in on it, but really is not a revolutionary leader in the New Testament church, but made it all possible in a very special, special way. A young lady, a 14-year-old virgin, 15-year-old virgin named Mary. So take your Bibles, please, and they'll be on the screen. They're also on your sermon sheet this morning. And we want to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. How, is, how are the Christ followers supposed to do business? How are we supposed to live? Now, I personally think this is something that's it may not be deeply complex, but is it important? So if you're a note-taker... Get your pen ready, and as God speaks to your heart through his word today, then get ready to write down, because this is a game changer for the church and perhaps for you as individuals. Now, Peter begins. Now, Peter, by the way, they always say you'll know Peter by the foot-shaped mouth in heaven. He was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. He's also the guy that, when filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the Pentecost, and thousands of people were saved. He really was a local leader in the local church, in the early church, Big time. And so that's who Peter is, okay? And here's what Peter says. He goes, now the end of all things is near. Look at me. The end of all things is near. Now, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not a prophet, not the son of a prophet. I really don't know. I don't think. In fact, these guys that give on to, I know that Jesus is coming back. They don't know. Because Jesus said we won't know. But here's what we do know. We do know that it's getting close. We're a lot further, like my daddy. Daddy, daddy, how much further? Not as long as it has been. Well, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but it will not be as long as it has been. Can I have an amen? 
It won't be. We don't know exactly when Christ is coming back, but he is coming back. So we are, we are potentially, there's nothing on God's prophetic calendar besides the, the, you know, the spreading of the gospel. There is, there is nothing on the calendar that has to happen. And so, so we are sitting there poised, perhaps, to see the second coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says that, that now the end of all things is near, therefore. And then he starts listing things that are very important for the local church, for the ecclesia to be about. And the first things he says is this. Therefore, be serious or be clear-minded and disciplined or exercise self-control in prayer. So he says that the church needs to be about prayer, but, but not prayer in any way. And he says that it's very important that we have a clear-minded approach to prayer and that we exercise self-control in prayer. Now, it's very possible that and even in Peter's time... That, that they were still getting this down, and some people thought Jesus was coming back, and they got so heavenly-minded, they were no earthly good, you know, people like that. You know, they're so fixed on heaven that they don't do anything on the earth uh, for the kingdom. And so, so we're not sure exactly why he said what he said, but how does it apply to us? Well, let me just tell you this, that in these latter days, when the ecclesia is so important, and by the way, does our culture need a gospel witness? I mean, my goodness, they, it's so, America so desperately needs a clarion call of the gospel from, from Jesus Christ, from God, and, and, and from his church in grace today. If there was ever a time that the church needs to be clearly shouting out the message of the gospel, it is now. And that certainly applies to our prayer life. Now, I just so you understand where I'm coming from, I am a pastor who believes in praying for sick people. I'm a pastor who believes in praying um, for difficult situations in people's lives. But not at the total cost of praying for lost people. Not praying for kingdom things. You know, Andy Stanley once asked a question and really rung with me. He said, you know, you know if, if it all boiled down to your prayer life, who would be impacted? If God answered all your prayers the way you want them prayed, you know, how, how, who would be impacted by that? And the truth is, a lot of times, our families would be impacted. Um, a few sick people might be impacted. Um, a few marriages might be touched, impacted, but the losses of the world largely would not. So, so what I'm saying is today is that we need to pray for healing. We need to pray for our families, and I do every day. We need, there's a lot of things we need to pray for. But in this latter days, as Peter says that the end of all things is near, we need to be clear-minded. We, we need to be disciplined under self-control and make sure that we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm telling you guys... We need, listen, listen, listen. We need to pray for lost people. In fact, in fact, can, can I be really bold? If you're not praying by lost, for lost people by name, you need to start. If, you had, if I asked you right now to name three people you're praying for by name to be saved, and you go, um, three, yes. I'm not sure I know three lost people. <laughs> you know, in our world, that's probably possible because, you know, so much of our times, our world revolves around church. Okay, so so we need to be actively praying, disciplined, praying for kingdom stuff to happen. I hope you're praying for some missionaries. I hope you're praying for sovereign protection, sovereign grace over missionaries' lives. Um, I, I pray you can pray not just God bless the missionaries, but that you can pray by name for some missionaries. Um, I hope you can pray for some people you know who are unchurched. That every Sunday um, they 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 don't get up and you do, and and you come home and you say hi. I hope you're praying for those people. Maybe they got wounded. Maybe they used to go to church and somehow they got scarred horribly. And you need to be praying for people like that. 
We need to pray for God's kingdom work to be done. So Peter says, in view of the last things, it's great to pray for illness. It's great to pray for our families. You keep right on doing that. You are on target. God bless you. But you need to make sure that you're clear-minded and under self-control to allow enough time to pray for kingdom things. Can I hear an amen? All right. Now, did you write that down? Because that's very significant. Because there are some lost people who need your prayers. There's some, there's some lost people that you know that are not in my world or David's world or Brent's world or some, some other person's world that God, you say, God, God, would you please you know, bring this person, draw this person to yourself and God, it's in my world so maybe even use me to do it. Okay, very, very huge, very huge. Very, very important. Hope you're with that down, okay? You know, sometimes we go, yes, I don't have a quiet time, okay? Why don't you have a quiet time? Well, I do that prayer thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the prayer thing. Yeah. And it kind of goes like this. God. Hi. Help me to have a good day. Help my wife. She's a terrible wife. Help her. Keep my kids out of jail. I guess that's about it. Have a nice day, God. I mean, it's kind of like, we don't have to say well, if you, if you kind of follow what I just said, it gives you some things to say to God. Come on, amen? Gives you some things to say to God. All right, so, so we have that. So in view of the end times, all things are near. Be serious, be clear-minded, be self, self-control in your prayer. And then what does he say next? Now, this is the, I, I pieced every, almost everyone today. We have the Holman Christian Standard, we have the New King James Version, and we have the English Standard Version, okay, for David. All right, so, so, so we, have, we have a little bit for everybody, okay? All right, so, so now, now, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined. And here's what it says. Above all. Whoa, time out. Whatever Peter's fixing to say, this must really be important, okay? He says, above all, maintain an intense love for each other. Now, now Peter, this follows what Jesus said. Jesus said, you know, he's the one who said, you know, if you want to know how the world's going to know you're my disciples, it's because you love one another. It's because you love one another. The world will know you're Christians because of the way you love, not because of the way you talk, because you know they're like lingo, not the way that you dress, uh, not because you get up and go to church on Sunday morning, uh, not because you wear an I love Jesus button or something like that. No, no, no. They're going to know you're my followers because you love one another. And so Peter, who walked with Jesus, says, you know what? You've you got to just like intensely, intensely, you've got to deeply love the brothers. You've got to have, exercise love in your church. And this word, this word intense is deeply. Now, this is, this is what I read from the commentary in the Greek. And it means stretch. And stretch. See, a deep, intense love stretches us. Anybody here ever been stretched to love somebody? If you're not, you're, listen, if not, you live on an island you don't, you don't live with a husband or a wife or children or neighbors. I'm telling you, the kind of love that, that God calls us to, this agape love. This, and by the way, you heard this this week sometime, one of the sermons we, we taught. You know, the word agape means to, to uh, give the, for the best of the other person, desire the best. God desires his best for us. That's why for God so loved the world, he agape the world. He desired the best. Okay, so, so Peter says that we are to, to intensely love each other. We're to wish for people that are hardly lovable, they're very best, or God's best for them. How about that? We, we are to allow this love to, to stretch. And now, 
Someone here is going, yes, yes. I just can't love him. I mean, my husband is like a total jerk. I mean, you know, he really honestly is believed in, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, in verse 22, that jerkitis is one of the fruit of the Spirit. No, and if not, it's a spiritual gift. I mean, you know, one day he got saved and he goes, you know, jerkitis, that's, that's my spiritual gift. It's my calling, you know? No, 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 no. See, to love is a choice. I, I know, I know, I know. You think it's a feeling. You know, some of you sitting here and go, I just fell out of love with my husband. I just fell out of love. Well, fall back in. You chose to love them one day. One day you said, I choose to love you. One day, for whatever reason, there's probably a very valid reason, you chose not to love. God's, listen, love, as the Bible describes, love is a choice. For God so loved. Did we earn it? Was it like, oh boy, those, those folks down there on earth, woohoo, they deserve my love. No. God chose to love. And because of the Holy Spirit that lives in each believer, we have that same capacity we can choose to love. So, so Peter says to deeply love, not because it's a feeling, but because you can choose to, because I can do all things, that verse you love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Philippians 4.13, I can do that. You can choose to love. There's somebody in this room you don't love. There's someone who won't come to this church because they're mad at you, and so they'll listen to it on the radio. There's someone who's going to listen to this message in two weeks on the internet, and they're going to say, yeah, I won't. I'll never forget, I was going to Walmart. I said, so you go to church anywhere? The, the, the cashier person, no. And he goes, I won't come to your church either. She knew who it was. Always bad about shopping in Harrisburg. They know who you are. You can't pull out in front of anybody. Right, Brent? And they go, oh, I know that purple Challenger. I know that purple car, yeah. So, 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 so I said, why won't you come? She goes, one of your members split up a family because they wanted the other person's spouse. And I won't come to your church. Oh, man. Kind of puts the angst on the, on the witnessing thing, the sharing thing. So, so we're to love because it, when we love one another like that, we kind of leave each other's spouse alone. We, we, we kind of don't do that, see, when we learn to, when we choose to love like that. So, so he says we're to love this deeply and this intensely because it's a, cho- a choice. And then he says this, listen, listen. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Now see how we're covered, circle in your Bible, or write it down. It really means to forgive. Love forgives a multitude of sins. Love forgives a multitude of sins. How cool is that? Listen to what, now who said this? I, I actually got a couple of quotes today. Um, let's see here. Um, no, no, I don't have a, I guess I don't have. Yeah, yeah, here it is. And, and do you know who this guy is, David? I think I, it's Gruden. Yes, you do. And he is the general editor of the ESV Bible. So Gruden is correct. Listen to what Mr. Gruden says. Where love abounds in a Christian, a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, listen, listen, listen. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound. 
But when we choose to love one another, because when you start having a church our size, there's all kinds of different backgrounds and beliefs and personalities and all those sort of things. When we choose to love one another, we stop doing one, one another with suspicion. We start, we start letting those things go. When, when the preacher has his faraway look, somewhere over the rainbow, I'm like this, and you go home and say, the pastor didn't even speak to me today. How could Brent not talk to me? We were probably in space somewhere. Thinking about announcements. <laughs> and thinking about how can I not mess up the introduction this week since I did last week. You know, all these things are going on. What key is that going to be in? That's kind, of, that's kind of what happens. Love covers, forgives a multitude of sins. And, and, and you probably go, I got that. I got it. But Dwayne, 27 times? 27 times they've done this. 27 times they sit in my seat three weeks in a row. I've sat in that seat for two years. They know it's my seat. And they came in. A guest, a visitor. Have they helped pay for this building? No. And they took my seat. How could they do such a thing? I don't know a whole lot about Greek. But I do know this. I read it and I already knew it. When it's in the present tense, it means continuously. It means, don't mean once. It don't mean three times. Lord, how much times must I forgive them? Peter said seven times 70 or an infinite amount of time. In other words, get a new seat if someone's in your chair. He said, love covers this multitude of sins. And then he goes on and says this, verse 9. Holy moly. Week seven's coming. <laughs> Be hospitable to one another. Now, here's the, here's the new level without complaining. Now, hospitality means to, to, um, to entertain a guest. Okay, now, in the culture of the New Testament, and really probably in Africa today, there's a hospitality, hospitality thing. You know, come to my house. You know, stay at my house. And, and back in those days, you know, they would knock on your door and say, hey, I'm, I'm busy in town. And you may not even know these people, but you would take them and bring them in to give them a place to sleep. And you feed them food and all those different things. That was hospitality. That was the that was out of I mean, you could do that. I mean, you could do that. Out of duty. You had to do it out of duty. I mean, the, the reputation of the community was at stake. The cultural uh, identity was at stake. It just had to do that. But then he says this. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Not, not, Mary, Mary, your wife, Mary, come, come. you're back in the corner. You only have one room, so it's not like there are bedrooms. So call Mary. Wasn't this the guy who was here two weeks ago? Can you believe he's back? How long do you think he's going to stay this time? Does he understand we're on a fixed budget? Blah, blah, blah. How are these things going to be? Peter says, Ecclesia, when, when it's your turn to keep a guest, when it's your turn to show kindness to a guest, oh dear, does that mean a church, Judy? When, when, when we have a guest, you know, and they, they cut you off in the parking lot, you pray, you don't pray, they go to your Sunday school class so you can glare at them. 
Not that we would, of course, but... So, no, no, without grumbling, without complaining. Extend kindness to people without complaint. That's how the ecclesia is to live. And by the way, you've already put it together. I mean, how did Jesus pray? Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. How did Jesus love? Unconditionally. He did not say a certain number of times. Um, what kind of hospitality did Jesus show? Well, I think a certain degree of hospitality was when he took the adulterous woman and they were going to stone her to death. And then everybody left and, and he said, well, where are your accusers? And she said, there isn't anybody. He goes, well, I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. What great hospitality is that? How cool. Show hospitality. And then, <clears throat> now we get into the part. It's cool. It's Based on the gift each one has received. Now, the word gift here and the word gift later on is the word charisma. Charisma. It means, it, it's, it's two things. It's a gift, but more than that, uh, C-H-R-I-S-A is the word for grace. So it's a grace gift. So, so what Peter is saying, that as each one of us, and he already says it, based on the gift each person has received, you know, by the grace of God, then we are to do what? Serve others. See, the gifts that God gives us is not for our own profit. When God gives you a certain ability, you know, to, to work in his kingdom work, that gift is not yours for flattery. It's not yours for attention. It's not for selfish means at all. When God has gifted you, it is to be used to serve others. Would you say those three words? To serve others. One more time, please. To serve others. So as we are part of the ecclesia and God has gifted us, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but as God has gifted us, those gifts are to bring glory to God and to serve others. To bring glory to God and to serve others. So as He has gifted you in this ecclesia, he wants you to bring glory to his name, and he wants you to serve the people around you. You didn't, you know, I know, I, you get gifts, you know. Some of you have handkerchiefs, you've got gloves, you've got certain things that you got for birthday or Christmas, and your intention is to never bring them out because you never use them. And sometimes you get a nice enough gift to where it's so nice you won't get it out. Look at me. God doesn't do that in his church. He gives people, <clears throat> gifts are given for the purpose of being used. And the use is not self-centered. The use is God-centered and ecclesia-centered to serve other people. Now, so he says, he says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others. How? As good managers of the varied, or I love the, the King James word, the manifold grace of God. So, so we have these gifts, okay, and we're simply managers, which means, by the way, if I understand it correctly, if I'm a manager, I don't own it. I manage it. So the gifts that you have are not yours anyway. They're just loaned to you to, by God. And you are to be good stewards of the gifts, the manifold graces of God. Isn't that cool? So, so whatever, you're, whatever you're called to do, whatever God has gifted you to do, those gifts are still God's. And he, because they're still God's, he has the right to dictate how those gifts are used to bring glory to him and the body of the ecclesia. Now, Peter, Peter just simply does two broad categories. Here's what he says. 
If anyone speaks, so he's talking about verbal gifts, okay? If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. So if you feel like you're gifted, whether it be teaching um, or encouragement um, or, or preaching the word of God, uh, foretelling the word of God, however it is that, that God may want to use you vocally, you're to use it as if you speak the words of God. Now, here's something interesting. You're going to get a series next year on this um, if the Lord leaves me here. But, and, and, you know, I tarry, don't die. Um, this mouthpiece thing. You know, Jesus said that the, out of abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if these are, let me, let me read it again to you. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. Those are heart gifts. And when your heart has to be right before you can speak the words of God. If your heart stinks, your mouth is going to stink. So someone said the other day something about a filter. I didn't figure it out. You don't need a filter. You surrender your heart to God and your brain to God, and the mouth will take care of itself. Thank you, sister. I'm, you know why I'm, this is important to me, don't you? Because I regularly mess up with my mouth. Just, if, you don't, if you're around me 20 minutes, give me 20 minutes, and I'll mess up with my mouth. But I'm learning. Okay, God. Now, don't forget this by next spring. Okay, God, my heart is yours. My brain is yours. I don't need a filter because if I have a good heart and a good brain and it's surrendered to God, I'll speak right. I'll speak right. So it's important if you feel like God has gifted you verbally, it's very important you come to him to use that gift with a clean heart. Clean heart. So he says, so if, if anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides. Now, do you see that? Is either cat, broad category, broad category, dependent on you? Nope. If you speak, you speak as if the words of God. And if you serve, you serve in the strength of God. This gift thing, it's not about you. I don't care what the gift is. It's about God. It's about God getting glory through you, gifting you. He gives you this gift. You're simply a manager of it. And you have this gift to work in the ecclesia and to bring glory to his name. In fact, he says it very clearly. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So, so regardless of the gift, regardless of what it is, call to serve. Call to speak. To verbalize. Call to teach. Call with mercy. Call with grace, extend grace, compassion. You do it all for the glory of God and through the power of God. Isn't that cool? So, so Peter, Peter gives us two broad categories. He says, the ecclesia needs to pray right. We need to love right. We need to show hospitality right. And then as we receive these gifts, whether it be involving verbal or service, God gets the glory and it's for the body of Christ. And we can't do it. We do it in his strength or with a pure heart. Then Peter, then, then Paul comes along. And that's where we spend a lot of our time. In Romans chapter 12. And let me read to you verses 3 through 5 as a jump at all point. So we have Peter, now we have Paul. Here's what Paul says in Romans 3, 5. We, we talked this last week. Where I say, 
through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Remember that from last week? But to think soberly, as God hath dwelt each one a measure of faith. For we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, and that is true. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So, so that's right. That's true. That's a jumping off point. But then Paul says these words. Having then gifts differing. Now, in God's smart, you know, he doesn't give everyone the same gift. He, and, and let me say this. Did you see what I did this morning? I did not say everyone who has your name on the roll as an official member of Orsville Baptist Church, let's shout out for Jesus. I, I said every person who's been blood-bought, born again, experienced God's grace. In other words, the entire ecclesia. Because I honestly believe that when God plants you here, He's got a place for you to serve. Now, there's some positions that, that, that will only be allowed for, for official members, and you can probably understand why. But every person, if you've been coming, you need to serve. One, it's the right thing to do. And two, we need you. And, and, you know, this ecclesia, God brought you here for a particular reason to serve in this community. You don't need to wait till your name's on the roll. We hope one day you'll do that. But until that happens, you have a place of service in the family of ecclesia called Dorsville Baptist Church or the Church of Dorsville. You've got a place where you can serve. So having then differing gifts according to how? The grace. How about that? The charisma. According to the grace that is given to us, here is the key thought, let us use them. Isn't that funny? God does not give us gifts to sit on. He doesn't give us gifts to put in a drawer. When God saved you, he gave you gifts. Gift or gifts. And expects you and wants you to use those gifts. Now, we do not have time today May in the future take a different time. But write these down if you want to know these. Um, in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, is a list, a list of gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 4 through 11, 27 through 31, is a list of gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, is a list of gifts. Now, something I, I read in two different commentaries I thought was very important, very significant. Both of them agree. They simply said this. This is not an exhaustive list of gifts. Um, listen to this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. This is Jesus speaking. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. While Jesus, and this is the quote, while Jesus' specific application in that context was the, to the new birth through the Spirit, that insight into the ministry of the Spirit is helpful regarding spiritual gifts. We know that everyone has been gifted by God. But we probably should not be dogmatic in asserting whether with one or more gifts. Nor should we be dogmatic about whether any or all gifts are permanent as a rule. Or whether or not gifts may be given to believers according to the need of the moment. So that's some really good, wise counsel. The bottom line is, gifts belong to God. And he gives them. And I, I remember hearing it said, well, you know, that gift is not mentioned in the Bible, so it can't be a gift of the Spirit. Well, not according to these guys. Not, not two different commentaries. People a lot smarter than me. Both, seem, both say that is a representative gift. It's like, for instance, any attribute, any fruit of the Spirit is not listed in nine. Does that mean the Holy Spirit doesn't have those attributes? No. 
No. It'd be like saying, you know, whatever description we see specifically of, of the characteristics of Jesus, does that not mean you didn't have different characteristics? Did Jesus ever laugh? Did Jesus have a sense of humor? Well, yes, he did. Do you see it just loudly proclaimed in the Gospels? Not really. But I believe he had a sense of humor. So it's very important we understand that. God gives us gifts, and we shouldn't be dogmatic on certain things, but we should understand that God gives us gifts. And the three lists, let me give them to you again. First off, you know, we have uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And there, today, he talks about the purposes of the gifts. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, 4 through 11, and 27 through 31, he goes into a great exposition about gifts, which I remind you, by the way, the church of Corinth had a lot of questions. They had some real issues. And so he goes in great detail about the gifts and how they're used there. And then finally, in Ephesians, in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So all of us have gifts. Now, here's what Paul says. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Write that down. God's given me a gift. I should use it. Here's what he says. Imagine I'm sitting here. We've got a group here, and Paul's up here, not Dwayne. And so someone says, well, Paul, I showed you my gift. Well, he'd say, well, if you've got the gift of prophecy, and again, that... A, a prophet of the Old Testament would tell the future events. Okay, we don't, I don't think God uses that gift in the New Testament church. And I'm not dogmatic on it. I do know God uses foretelling of his word. Okay, I think that. And by the way, be careful if you think you're a prophet and you can foretell the future. Because if you got it wrong, they had a habit of stoning you. Just saying, if you think you're a prophet and you can tell the future, just might want to be careful with that. But there are prophets of the foretelling of the word of God, most certainly that. So, so, so Paul says, well, if prophecy, let's prophesy in proportion to our faith. Um, what about serving? Well, then let us use it in our service. And, and how about if you're teaching? Well, teach. What about if you encourage people? Well, then we should encourage people. He who gives will do it with liberality. Um, he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, use your gift. You know, God's not called us if these are gifts, he's not called us to this. He's not called us to this. Have you figured out yet that if God had nothing for you to do, you'd be in heaven right now? If, you had, if God said, ain't nothing for you to do, he'd say, well, come on home. God's got a purpose for you being here. And the incredible part is he saved you with that purpose in mind. Create us into good works. And we need you to exercise that gift and give glory to God and serve the family. There's some incredibly gifted people. You just need to step out and say, look, I really feel like God's you know, gifted me in this area. How can you use me in the ecclesia? Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. I know it's, it's crazy. I'm sure there's not a, a spiritual gift, a parking lot attendant, but there might be a mercy when you go out there and someone's car won't start, mercy, James. Come on, amen. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So, so Paul says all these thoughts. Be sure let's use these gifts. Use these gifts. Now, what about Mary? Dwayne, how did you throw Mary in the pot? Because Mary has an incredibly important message for us today. So we got Peter... Telling the ecclesia, we, we got Paul. And basically Paul's thrust was, as God gives you, use it. 
And that's what we see in Mary's life. Now, it's not Christmas, and we're going to talk about Mary at Christmas this year. Um, again, Lord willing. But look on your sermon sheet or look at Luke chapter 1, 34 through 38, English Standard Version. Today, just for you. So Mary said to the angel, the angel showed up and said, this is what's going to happen. And Mary goes, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I've not known a, I've not known a man. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, I want to be very careful here. Don't, don't take this too far. But just like the Holy Spirit came over Mary and enabled what happened to Mary to happen, that's how gifts happen in you. It's not you. It's God's Holy Spirit working in you. You got that? Okay. All right. And the power of the whole Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. Talking about Jesus. Will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. What an encouragement. I'm trying to encourage you today to use your gifts. For nothing, for nothing will be impossible with God. Some of you are so afraid to exercise your gift. Some of you are so afraid to serve God. Some, some of you are so, so tentative to saying, well, God, I've never done this before. You know, I, I, some of y'all see the nominating committee come and you run. Quick, detour. You've got the church memorized. Every exit, you know where it is. Just kidding. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Listen. Nothing is impossible with God. If God calls you, God will equip you, and God can make it happen. That's true for Africa mission trips. But it's true also for teaching four-year-olds. It's also being a youth teacher. It's also in the worship ministry, David. It's true mercy. If God calls you to mercy, you can exercise mercy. Nothing is impossible with God. And here's the lesson. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What God wants from his ecclesia today is Mary. Let it be according to me at your word. Okay, God. I don't know how. But if you will get me, gift me, and equip me, I'll surrender. That's, it's really all about surrender. Have you figured that out yet? You know, we're going to talk about sexual purity in January. And my brother said it so well. It's about Jesus' surrender. This whole, this whole thing is about Jesus' surrender. It's simply saying, okay, God, if you call, you equip, I'll surrender. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to do that? Now, Get the scope of the impact. What happens when 340 to 400 people all of a sudden start surrendering, understanding their giftedness, and using that gift? You want know, to you know, tell you what will happen? Things that we cannot even imagine. Ministries that you cannot even imagine. We're talking about marriages healed. We're talking about people in darkness brought to light. We're talking about offering goals because one of the gifts is giving. 
offering goals that cannot be set high enough because those with the gift of giving just do it liberally. We're talking about such a radical change that perhaps one is rarely seen today but hadn't been seen in general since Acts. Since Acts. So my first thing is this. My first bottom line is this. Do you know Jesus? I cannot close without making that clear. If you're here today and you got invited to lunch or something, you're not sure why, you wandered in maybe, this is not about come be a Baptist, come join Dorsville Baptist Church. It's about we want to share the incredible great news of God's grace. Every person in this room that knows Jesus came by grace through faith. None of us merited it. None of us were good enough. None of us lived in the right part of town. None of us drove the right kind of car. We simply were sinners and we responded to God's call in our lives and said yes to Jesus Christ. And he forgave us. He forgave us. And my friend Brent's going to be standing right down front here. I'll be down here also. Some other folks down here will be glad to pray with you. The best thing that could happen today is for us to get to share Jesus with you and you come to know the Jesus Christ who died on the cross. So that's the most important thing. That's it. And the second part is this. We, his people, understanding God's purpose for us and fulfilling that purpose. Can I help you just for a minute? Imagine imagine going to work and not knowing why you were there. Well, we pastors do that all the time. But you didn't even laugh. <laughs> you said, we know that. Do I know? Imagine going to work and you really don't know why you're there. There's no purpose. There's no reasoning. Think how boring, how empty that would be. But imagine going to work and every day you were just challenged and just met this, this itch in your life to be used. That's what God desires for us. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to find his niche for his niche in our lives and to give her day and say, God, today, use me. Today, use me. I don't think that's abnormal. I think it's normal. I think it's normal. So probably, someone here is saying, well, we are way out of town, and I'm done anyway. It doesn't matter. But, you know, there's all kind of, get your Google out, um, gift assessments, um, giftiness tests. Oh, I'll be glad, Brent glad, Dave glad to help point you in the right direction because I think it's important you get a good direction. Um, discovering how God has gifted you. Okay, sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know. That'd be a good source. Um, perhaps one, one of the pastors will teach more on this um, coming up in the future about how we can discover what God wants us to do. Um, empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit with these gifts. That God gives us. So that's just hugely, hugely important. So my prayer as senior pastor and the teacher today would be that every believer could find that in life. And I'm telling you, when you get it, it just, it's exciting. It's just exciting. So let's bow our heads in prayer. God, I sure thank you for this good day. And Father, I pray for my friend here today who may not know Jesus. God, their world may be really dark as they face separation from you. And I want to thank you for when I asked those who knew Christ, the place just erupted in noise. And it's a witness and a testimony that we have experienced your amazing grace. So God, for the one who has not, oh, let today be that day. 
Give them the simple courage to respond to you today and come to experience your grace and your forgiveness and your love through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, for us, Father, these are, well, it's a lot later than it was. These could well be the very last days. And our country so desperately needs a church body that is living and walking in the living proof of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us, all of us, God, those who've had their name on the roll and those who came in two weeks ago, as you've assembled this group together, help us to respond to the gifts that you've given us be used for your honor and glory and to serve the ecclesia, the body of Christ. What a privilege that is. So Father, as we respond to your Holy Spirit today, while we pray for your will to be done. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.